Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends ever since. And we had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other. And in our 30s, we got married. Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other average parents. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have. <laughs> so welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Apparently, we need to learn a new skill. Uh, oh, I'm sure lots of skills. <laughs> yeah. This one's called emotional intelligence, and it's being taught in our kids' schools, so we should probably catch up. Okay. Have you heard of what it is? Is, is it empathy? Well, that's a good question. I think empathy or like is part of it. Social emotional? Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think that that's the same thing. Yes. So SEL, that's how I, that's a buzzword I hear at school. Oh, SEL. That's what you yes. guys. Okay. Social emotional learning. Okay. So years ago, probably when we were producers at WGN, um, I read a book or an article or something about EQ, which is the emotional quotient. Uh-huh. And it's not the IQ because they say your intelligence and your emotional, your IQ and your EQ are different. But totally. Yes. So um, researchers at Stanford in the 60s and 70s uh, gave kids one marshmallow and oh, told them that they could have two if they waited, right? Okay. So they're like, here's a marshmallow. Don't eat it. I'll be back. And then they went away. And these kids, you know, looked at the marshmallow, looked at the marshmallow, looked at the, <laughs> sniffed the marshmallow, whatever. I think I've heard of this one. Yeah. And then if, and it was like 15 minutes. Like torture. And, yeah. And then if they came back, they got an extra marshmallow. Okay. Right? And many, many, many of these, you know, four-year-olds ate the marshmallow before yeah. they got the second yes. one. So I think the no impulse, they were like, ah, I got to have it. Exactly. So when my kids were little, I decided to do this experiment myself because I wanted you did? <laughs> I wanted to see if they had high EQs. <laughs> um, nothing competitive about me. Uh-huh. Um, so I was so excited because neither one of them ate the first marshmallow. They uh, didn't? No. So I was like, oh my God, my kids are brilliant. And then I found out they don't like marshmallows. Oh! <laughs> my god for real for real that i brought them the second marshmallow they're like "Mm -mm." oh defeated you're like (laughs) thinking such big things yeah no and then you know we've talked about money and you could switch switch it out for something else like a skittle or something well i was (laughs) thinking about doing it with skittles because hello who doesn't like that yeah um but we when i look at my kids with money i think i have two very different children. I mean, I'm cl- clearly they're very different. Um, I have one kid, Sophie, who if I give her money, she will squirrel it away and will never spend it. Mm-hmm. And I have one kid who if I give her money goes, make it rain! Yeah. 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 It isn't in her pocket long enough right. before it's spent already. What about with your kids? Uh, with money, they're totally different. Um, I would say with the marshmallow um, or Skittle or what have you, I think they would be different also. My daughter probably would have a hard time not eating it. <laughs> and my and my son maybe could hold off. I don't know. Cause he's, he's I've never done it. the experiment, so I don't know. 
maybe they'd both not do it. I don't and hold on and wait. I don't well, know. Well, don't let them listen to this podcast. Yeah, I know. And let's do it. And let's do it home. and try it. Yeah. Okay, I'll try okay. it. Yeah. So this whole I, I think that lesson was delayed gratification, and that's part of social emotional intelligence. Um, and there's someone coming to my kid's school who's going to talk about this. Oh, like the, the parent workshops or something? Yeah. And the kids are learning it in school and we should be learning it too. Because, sure. you know, the learning so you doesn't can re- stop. Yeah, yeah. So you can reinforce it at home. Yeah. So I, she's not, she hasn't spoken at my school yet, but I went and I booked her. You pre-interviewed her yes. for the school? Yes. That's hilarious. Don't tell. Um, <laughs> all right. So Barbara Burgess is the chief operating officer and chief vision realization officer at the Wright Foundation for the Realization of Human Potential. Oh my goodness. That's a mouthful. I know. I can't believe I got it all, all said. Um, <laughs> and she says she's a very average parent, but I doubt that. Wow. That's a title that I, I don't equate with average. No, not exactly. So Barbara, Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. So we we always say that we're absolutely average parents, and we don't really know what emotional intelligence, social emotional, SEL, all of that. There are all these kind of buzz phrases. Um, what what do they mean? I'll, I'll respond to that, and I'm just going to say, if you're a socially emotionally aware parent, you know you're an average parent. <laughs> I'm throwing that right out there. Oh, good. Otherwise, I frankly don't trust you. But, um, you know, social emotional intelligence, it is kind of what it sounds, right? At a level, it's emotionally, am I, am I aware as a kid, as a parent, as a human? Am I aware of my feelings? Am I paying attention to them? Do I know what the heck to do with them? Do I know how to interact with other kids' parents when I'm having feelings? And so that's the emotional side. It really is tuning in there, knowing how to use them, having those muscles, and the social part really is when we're interacting with others. So, you know, I may be incredibly self-aware of my feelings, but frankly, I'm not willing to get off my couch and meet anybody. So, you know, I may be strong in emotional intelligence, but, you know, not have yet exercised my social intelligence muscles. So it's, you know, when we develop the muscle, it's this beautiful interplay of being aware of my emotions, knowing the value of them, using them well, but also kind of getting off my butt and interacting with other people in the real world. So Tracy asked if empathy is involved. Is that, is that is that another way of saying empathy, if you're empathic? Empathy would be a strong skill. So, for example, when we're teaching about feelings, if I'm unable to identify hurt in myself, then I can't identify that in someone else. And we talk about this a lot. So the more that I can be aware of the feelings that are going on inside of me, the more I can identify with those feelings in somebody else. So oftentimes when people don't have empathy or that isn't a muscle that they've developed, they don't have that internal self-awareness. So if I can be aware of my hurt, I can be aware that I've hurt somebody else. And so it really is that kind of muscle. So it's one aspect of it, but, you know, emotional intelligence and the possibilities of emotions go way beyond empathy. You said I, if you can feel hurt, you mean like like sad? Uh, well, so I'll get into this. So every social-emotional intelligence curriculum is different, so I'll give that big old disclaimer up front. When we're teaching it, we focus on kind of five primary feelings, fear, hurt, anger, sadness, and joy. So sad's a little different than hurt. And this is, again, we probably have a harder time teaching this to adults because we have many more years under our belt than children. But it's one of the big gaps in a lot of the social-emotional research that's out there right now is people skip over hurt, meaning you're getting hurt all day long most of the time if you're out being a professional working anywhere or even if you're not. If you're, you know, running around doing an errand, you get hurt, meaning you're riding in the elevator. You know, you say hi to somebody and they don't say hi back or they pay more attention to somebody else, you were hurt. Mm-hmm. A little tiny little micro hurt. It's not a big deal. You didn't fall over and right. gushing, but right. you were hurt. But we're not used to noticing it, and we just are so used to toughening up, we avoid it. And so without 
recognize it within ourselves, it makes it tricky to recognize in other people. Interesting. I would not, I would, I would think that that would be something that they would identify because that's what makes them sad like that for a kid. So you're saying a lot of kids don't, aren't able to identify that one or gloss over I that one. I think the kids do way better. I think the parents have a harder time, but in general, you know, kid, kids do better with hurt than adults do. You know, again, just even in your question to me is hurt, you know, is that like sadness? Well, no, sadness could be, it's just a different nuance, but sad could be, you know, I'm sad because I didn't do well on this because I lost a project because it could be a lot of things that maybe I didn't feel hurt by, but hurt is really, you know, something happened externally with me with another person and it really had that sense of hurt in my you know, body. I, I really experienced it that way. But I could be sad just because I wanted. I could be sad because you didn't give me the marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not super hurt, right? You know, sure. But what, I'm sad. What about yeah. fear? Because I don't feel like as an adult I have a lot of fear. I'm I'm done with monsters now. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. what's an example? Fear of, does, yeah. What What would be an example of fear? Well. Let me say this about all the feelings, and then I'll go back to answer your question. But oftentimes, the reason we aren't used to identifying these is because when we think of fear, we think of that running from a bear example. You know, we don't think about what fear really looks like. So there's the big word, but then there are the 3,000 manifestations we have all day. So if you're anxious, you have fear going on in your body. It's just a little taste of it. You know, if you're a little bit upset, there's a little fear mixed in there, probably a little fear, a little hurt, a little anger, probably all boiled together. And we, when we're teaching, we really try to get people to dial down to the primary ones, but it doesn't mean the big old fear. But most humans, as you start to get into touch with it, you realize you're afraid a good chunk of your day. You might be afraid you don't get a project done. You meet, didn't meet a deliverable. You, you know, as a kid, you're afraid to go out and meet somebody new. You're afraid, you know, working on something you haven't done before. So fear is actually pretty pervasive as a human experience. It's just when we define it you know, out in the world, we tend to think of it as some big thing. It's not. It's these little, tiny micro moments of fear. I mean, I couldn't wait to talk to you both today. I was looking forward to it. But am I afraid right now? Absolutely. Am I going to say the right things, the wrong things? Am I going to do it well? So I'm afraid. It doesn't mean it paralyzes me from movement, but I'm afraid. Yeah, you know, you say that, like, I, I am always worried I'm going to be late. You know, I'm worried about there's going to be traffic. I'm worried that yep. I'm not going to find a parking spot. I'm worried. Yep. So and th- so that all that's like death by a thousand cuts. You yeah. know, that's all. Those are all fear. Okay. Yeah. All fear. Kids. Pervasively all the- and, and we want it. You know, you think about even training your kids. You can't cross the street and not be afraid. It's just that you're more in relationship with it. Right. Right. So my fear is what keeps me from doing something idiotic and stepping in front of a car because I'm in touch with a fear that I could get hit if I do that. So it kind of is, if you imagine an ideal relationship with your fear, it is always there, but it's kind of a guard dog sitting in your yard rather than some big thing that stops you. And what we've learned in training people for 30 years is the more that we can teach people what it is and to be aware of it, you can make better choices. You can have better results. You can feel better. You'll actually be less stressed even when you're in more touch with your fear. So how do we learn emotional intelligence. You're, you're giving us some good examples. And, you know, I'm wondering, too, like if, if how do we reinforce it at home or or talk about it at home with the kids if after they're, you know, at school getting lessons in it? Yeah, well, I think, you know, first of all, I'm just even with the lessons, every curriculum is different. But with the kids, just, you know, tell them to tell you what they're learning. Let them teach you. They love to do that. They love to know more than you. So they may have a nuance in their <laughs> curriculum that's even different than we would teach it but let let them be discussing it. But ultimately, the main thing, whether it's an adult or a child, the first thing you want to do is really become aware of your feelings. And again, societally, we are completely used to doing the opposite. 
we're, we're used to finding other ways to numb ourselves from our feelings rather than be in touch with them. So at the first step for both parents and adults, it's becoming aware. So literally when we're teaching this assignment for adults, we have them set a timer for every hour. And they, when the timer goes off, they do a little checkbox in what they notice. Fear, hurt, anger, sadness, joy. Could have been all of those in that particular moment, depending on what was going on with them. But literally, they're developing that self-awareness muscle. Well, the kids can do the same thing, you know, but really up front, it's being aware yourself and sharing and talking about it, not pretending that you're not going on. So, for example, in our house, you know, my husband and I at dinner will say, oh, my gosh, today I was so afraid because blah, 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 or I was really angry because I did this and this is what I did about it. So we're just, as we develop our muscle, we sort of weave that into the normalcy of what happens. Sure. You know, and then beyond, beyond that, there's other things you can do as well. The, I think the dinner table would be a perfect time to be doing that. That's kind of like your thorns and roses, kinda, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, Barbara, we used to, because, of course, I gave it up. Um, <laughs> we used to, we have really big initiatives, and then they, they peter out like about so a week normal. later. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we used to do roses and thorns. Oh, that's what it and was. So, and so we'd say, what was your rose today? What was your thorn? And it was a way of, I guess, we were trying to model so that the kids were talking about, I guess, feelings, yeah. right? Um, You're absolutely doing it. That is just a lovely way to do it. We have something called the feelings game, and we do the five primary feelings, and we'll look back at the day, and the kids look back at the day and name one time I was afraid, one time I was hurt, one time I was angry. Sometimes it's one instance that triggered all that up, but the, that, you know, that thorns exam is perfect. That's lovely. That's a good social-emotional intelligence skill. We're doing one with my family right now where we notice that not just the kids, but the adults, we tend to get stuck because we avoid uncomfortable situations. So our habit the last week or so, a couple of weeks, has been at dinner at night, we're saying, okay, what was your uncomfortable thing today? Okay. You know, and to name that. And so many of us, adults included, are going through our days going, okay, what's going to be my uncomfortable thing I share tonight? Meaning I'm normalizing that if I'm developing my social emotional intelligence, I'm going to be uncomfortable. And uncomfortable means there's feelings going on, but it's just a straightforward way to say it. But we normalize that, and the kids get to hear that we're uncomfortable for the day. They get to know it's okay. We learn way more about what's going on with their days, and they're getting a better self-awareness than they would have had otherwise. And we've talked before about the idea of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, that was another podcast. that's That's the only way you grow, right? Absolutely. But do I still avoid it like the plague? Absolutely. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Is this like almost another way to measure a yardstick? As a parent, uh, are, I could see looking at this and going, "Oh, they're not empathic. They're not. They're not this. They're not that." Just, just another way for parents <laughs> to think about where they went wrong or how they could have done something different, like a long time ago. Well, I'm I'm so glad you asked that because I will say it's one of my biggest beefs being a parent and also you know dealing with other parents is I think so many of us spend so much of our time on what's the latest thing and how are we going to do it right for our kids. Right. We have a whole parenting program and our main you know, theme on that is there is no such thing as a per- perfect parent, only a good one or a decent one. And that means where I go back to being normal, like, no, I have nothing handled. I have tools, I have skills, I have lots of things to do that joins me in this adventure of learning and growing with my kids. But, you know, it's, it's just a, you know, a bumpy road of being a parent. It's one of the most vulnerable choices we make in our lives to learn and grow. And I think similarly, emotional intelligence, just like athletics, just like 3,000 activities can be another measuring stick we use, and I think it's our job to make sure it's not. And, and for me, it's actually been the opposite. 
because the more I've gotten in touch with my emotions, the more that I know it's okay for me to be hurt, angry, screw stuff up, do it well, not do it well, the more I understand that's what the journey is. And so it's kind of like the opposite of a measuring stick for me, meaning I love teaching workshops where I'm telling them about a meltdown my kid had and how I either handled it well or didn't. The point is not that I've got these perfect processes with my kids. I mean, what kind of existence would that be? You know, the point instead is, again, am I learning and growing? Are they learning and growing? And sometimes that means like major mess ups, right? Yeah. But social emotional intelligence as an umbrella says, great, no problem. You threw up on yourself now. (laughs) Right. What we learn from it? You know, where is there to go? So it's a tool rather than a measuring stick. Exactly. Okay. Um, All right. So let's take a look at what emotional intelligence means in real world settings. Like, so, you know, I often get frustrated um, or or impatient um, when the kids aren't doing what I want. Um, And I I think that would go under anger. So, you know, how should we approach anger in the real world? Well, let me uh, back up a moment on that, because, you know, there's all kinds of sort of systemized ways to make things happen the way they want, which I'm sure you've covered in other podcasts from natural consequences and 3000 other things. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, because we've had all these perfect models to live into, you know, we often haven't learned enough of those skills that help make things go the way they want. But when we get to anger with emotional intelligence, for me as a parent, it was just revolutionary that it's okay to be really angry. And, and that that's part of me being a good parent is being in touch with that and using it effectively. Now, that does not look like me screaming at my kids all the time, and we'll often say this in our parenting workshops. Like, if you're at their place where you're screaming all the time, you're probably at your least effective at that moment, but that doesn't mean I don't get angry. And as a new parent, I had to learn that was okay because, of course, you have this precious little gift that's birthed from you, and they meet all your needs, and they're so cute, and da-da-da, and the last thing you want to do is be angry because you lose that source of delight and nourishment and them affirming you and all that kind of thing, but then... You know, as my experience was, you start to raise a little princess or a little prince and realize, wait a minute, (laughs) hang on, they're getting all their needs met and I'm not getting mine met. This doesn't work. And so really in the anger piece, it is giving ourselves permission to be honest about it. And then as we develop tools over time to use it effectively. So we'll sometimes talk about using your young lady or young man voice when you're, you know, and again, my parents had this, but somehow it's been conditioned out as if it's not okay. But I may not yell, but I say, young lady. You know, when I've seen my daughter do something that was unacceptable, I literally had to work on that muscle. That was me channeling my anger to communicate directly, clearly, and right to her little system that what she was doing was not okay, right? Before that, I felt guilty, bad, that I was upset, or I would let it build up so much that then I'd totally blow off, you know, et cetera. So really to understand, it's okay for me to be angry at my kids. And actually, as I get more and more effective, to express it very directly, So they know what my expectations are, what's going to fly and what's not going to fly. And again, I know early in my parenthood, I felt cut off from that ability. You know, it's somehow in this land of every, you know, every child so loved and everything so perfect and let me kiss your butt all the time. I was lost. And and part of the anger is me getting to claim my territory again as a parent and say, no, the house is going to be how I want it. Yeah. And you might not like it. You can go have your meltdown in the other room, but don't get it in my space because that's not how I'm rolling. I joke that I've made a very uh, innocuous word, kind of a threat. And it is girls. You're with the mommy girl. Yeah. The mommy oh, yeah. girl. Yeah. That's it. Yes. yes. Mommy girl grows perfect for anger, yeah. you know, and they know and you use it judiciously, right? Yes. And, and, and the trick is you have to follow through on it because if you use that and they go cross over that line, 
what's the consequence going to be of it? But once you've established that boundary, they tend not to cross it. And they know if that growl comes, they're in trouble. Right, right. What about um, sadness? When, when, we feel, when we feel sad or the kids feel sad in, in real world setting, how would we, you know, or is it just like saying you can be sad, like letting them be sad or not saying don't be sad? You know how sometimes parents say, oh, come on, don't yeah. be sad about that. They're judging how the kid, like in taking their 46-year-old self and pushing <laughs> pushing it on the kid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we just have that habit. Oh, don't be sad. You know, don't be angry. Don't be this. Don't be that. And again, it's there's no sin about any of that. It's just we were raised that way, so we pass that on, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. And the reality is, like, I don't need to get all, you know, schmoopy with them about some fancy languaging on social-emotional intelligence, but I can just let them cry. I go, oh, yeah. I mean, I can literally just say, you know, I don't have to say anything but I, you know, you know, I was thinking about with a particular instance with my son, and he was really sad. And, I, you know, my first, of course, any parent's reaction, what's wrong? If they have a feeling, if they cry or anger or whatever, what's wrong? Now I still say that. But I'm automatically telegraphing that their feelings are wrong because oh. they're having a feeling, right? Yeah. So I try to catch myself now. I mostly still screw it up. But Wait, I what, so what do you say? say that. What do you, you say? Don't say anything. So if he fell, like, are, are you okay? You know, okay. I can run over there and do like that if it's, you know, if it's a fall, if it's something like that. But otherwise, you know, I can just interact with him on whatever it is. And again, that one's not even always the best one. But really, let's say he's having his feelings or whatever. Don't take him away. You know, just let, if it's your son or daughter, let them be sad. Let them cry. Let them be angry. Say, I, I get you. You know, I hear you. Yeah, that must have been hard. You know, somebody, you know, my daughter will say she got in a disagreement with her girlfriends and she really hurt my feelings, you know, and I was really mad at her. I'm like, yeah, I get that. You know, I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to strategize what she should do next. You know, again, unless she wants that for me or wants some support, but otherwise, great. You had a feeling with your friend that would be normal, you know, and for me, just mostly it's us not getting in the way of it. You know, the kids kind of, they bring it to you. It's just, we're trying to do something with it that we don't need to do. Yeah, if they need help, they want strategy, fine, but otherwise, let them be ticked at their friends and work it out. So we don't need to always fix it? No, don't swoop in. <laughs> don't swoop. And it's so hard not to swoop, right? And I think you said it before, but you said my 46-year-old self. Really, when we're doing that, we're feeling our little 5-year-old girl, our 10-year-old boy, our equivalent of it. And we're trying to have somebody soothe us in a way we might not have been soothed. But we're better off having our kids learn how to soothe themselves and us soothe ourselves in the meantime, you know, and, and just kind of let it be. I have a question about fighting because um, mm -hmm. in our house, there's not a lot of fighting, but, um, at, but when my kids are arguing, I want to jump in and be like, stop fighting, <laughs> you know, and, mm -hmm. and knock it off. Yeah. Knock it off. Sit on your hands. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. what, how should we approach fighting? So every situation is a little different. One of the things I learned early on, just, you know, again, in a training that I hadn't known was it, rather than, you know, it's, you don't always have to just let them work it out, especially when they're young, because sometimes there's really good training to happen. But what you do need if you're going to help them work it out is you literally need the time to sit down and really analyze with them and walk it through. And, and that's something that takes a little investment up front, but pays off down the road. So, you know, your kids are fighting upstairs and you're at that point, you know, and I will, I'll use my growl voice. I love that one at that point in time. They get down here, you know, boom, they're down. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, we're sitting down. Now what happened? And let, let, well, he did it. She did it. Okay. Hang on. Let's back up one at a time. Tell me from your perspective, you know, let them talk. And then they, okay. 
So then, you know, and you're literally trying to help them dissect the interaction at a level and not get in the way and solve it and get it over with. Again, I'm not saying you're going to do this all the time. Maybe this is one out of 10, Mm -hmm. but it's a teaching and training tool, right? So what led you to do that? Okay. You know, and so just kind of get breaking it down and understanding. And then again, you could throw the feelings in there and say, okay, so how do you think he felt about that? Okay. How do you think she felt about that? Okay. You know, so you could do some facilitation on some of these where you're literally bringing it down moment by moment so they can learn. But beyond that, there's also times where it's just fine that you don't want it in your space and you can just use your growl. You know, so with my kids, they like to get into that too. And, you know, I'll call them over and I had <laughs> the other night, it was just, you know, it depends what your day was like, what you're up against, et cetera. But I said, I gave him a warning. I said, you guys either work that out right now or there's going to be a consequence because I don't want it in my background. They didn't work it out. And I said, oh, they were working, cleaning the kitchen up. And I said, okay, we're having silent kitchen cleanup right now. And next time you guys can, you know, work it out. But it was just one of those moments where I was working on a big work thing that was due and I couldn't have it in my background, you know. And so it's fine to have different tools in your tool belt. And when you can break down the fights to help them do that so that they can learn out of it is terrific. Um, but it's not that we want to get into one formula because there's no one formula that's going to work in every situation. We want to have more tools in our tool belt that we can, you know, work out. And one of the other things I'll say just from a parenting perspective, and it's the tr- true for couples and relationships, you can do it right or wrong. It doesn't matter. You follow your gut later. Part of your feelings are saying, ooh, I don't think that went so well. And then I'll go back to my kid and say, you know, I don't like how I did that. Yeah. This is how I wish I would have done that. I'm going to do that next time. And you move on. You don't have to be apologetic. You don't have to be anything. But, wow, I just chewed your head off in front of your friends and embarrassed you and humiliated you. That might not have been the best choice. I might try to do it differently next time. You know, there's this, it's not about doing it right. It's about reattaching every time, whether it went right or well, right or wrong. Gotcha. What about fighting with your spouse? Do you do that in front of the kids or not? Uh, Yeah, so that's something to sort out depending on ages of kids. So, you know, when my kids were infants, we didn't do so much of that. You know, we would take it to another room, et cetera. And there was also a parallel journey as he and I were learning how to fight. So the biggest thing, we were so proud of our relationship because we didn't fight. Little did I know that was the worst thing for our relationship because silently we'd be poking and picking at each other in a way that caused a buildup over time. So part one was us just learning how to have conflict with each other, which is a whole other topic of a whole other show. Mm -hmm. We teach these seven rules of engagement that are good for you know, whether it's a spouse or a coworker. But so as my husband and I developed our skill, we got more comfortable fighting. And as the kids got older, so, you know, he and I, I don't know, about a month ago, had a pretty good blowout, you know, in front of, you know, working stuff out or whatever. And we did let the kids be there because what we've learned, as long as we're fighting responsibly, we like them to be able to see us work something through. Sure. And now, it's normal. Kids, it's normal. Like you, it's totally normal. So a good fan, like, you know, people think in good families, like nobody fights and nobody argues or anything. That's that's absolutely not normal. <laughs> I don't Those think I don't know a single family. Yeah, because the- all of that. And I'm going to say this about feelings. You think about feelings are these electrical impulses running through our body. Right. If we don't get in touch with them and use them, they have to go somewhere. So that family that doesn't fight, there's also the whole dynamic of the family system. Where is all of that anger going? Because there's anger every day. There's upset every day. Where's it going? And I just think of a powder keg, you know, if you can't learn to vent it out, work it through, et cetera, it's going to go somewhere at some point in time. It's going to blow, you know, better off to have a healthy relationship and release it and work through things. Is social emotional intelligence, are kids, are people born with that or is it lear- a learned behavior? You, 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 you know, I, I just yeah, think that sometimes there's kid there's kids that have come through my life, <laughs> that, <laughs> through my kids, friends and so on. And I'm like, Wow. 
you just don't, I just wonder if it's something that can be taught. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my this is total personal opinion, not research-based at all, but I think it's a both and. You know, I, I'm sure it's true for you, but I have two children, a boy and a girl, 10-year-old and 8-year-old, and they came out very differently. <laughs> <laughs> And they continue to evolve very differently. I mean, night and day. And so in some ways, I think it can be something that, you know, kids are born with. At the same time, what I love about kind of what I've been teaching and learning and, and what we teach is just anything's learnable. And I did this with my son when he was a year and a half old because he, you know, didn't make eye contact. And that's something you got to learn how to do we over were, your life. We were just talking about this right before the podcast. <laughs> we were. Yeah, it's it's huge. And I literally probably if it hadn't been for my boss, I don't know, we played the eye contact game. You know, and what I realized was although I do public talks and I do presentations and I coach people, I was not making eye contact with people most of the day, right? And so instead of making him bad or wrong about it, we made it into something we were learning and growing about. Now, my daughter, on the other hand, had great eye contact from the moment she was born. You know, she she'd hug me strongly. He doesn't so much, you know. It's just different. So I think, again, it's probably a combination of some innate things we're born with. But what I love is that anything's learnable. And it, it, at least in my experience so far, it truly is. And it doesn't mean you have to learn everything. But if there's things you want to learn, you can. And I talk to my kids about that as well. I'm still working on my organization, my follow through to deadlines. I'm still working on all kinds of things that way. You know, and it's exciting to me that I don't have to know them right now, but I can develop muscle in them. What is the eye contact game? Because I think I might need to play it. Well, I played it when my son was very little. So you have to remember at that point in time, anything is fun to them. So we literally had stones or acorns or anything he found of interest. And every time he made eye contact with us, we gave him one, you know, and and that's kind of how we did it. And I played it also, you know, and so very early on, we did that. Now, as they got older, once they knew and had been trained, we just would stop and, and not keep going in a conversation unless we got it back. And again, we're not always impeccable about it. So there's a different way if they're younger versus if they're older. But kind of anything you can turn into a game when kids are littler. Yeah. Later, it's more about setting standards and expectations and not allowing them to blow you off. Yeah. I'd have to give my, my kids dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that as you said that. Boy, older, yeah. it's probably money. A- acorns <laughs> don't fly no more. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, thank you, Barbara Burgess, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Vision Realization Officer at the Wright Foundation for the Realization of Human Potential. We will link to that uh, on our landing page. You are awesome. We're going to call you again because I think the whole uh, learning how to fight is a good one, don't you think? Tracy? Yes. It's a big, well, it's a big I'd, I'd topic. Lo- yeah, I'd love to talk anytime. I feel like this flew by in about a minute. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much, Barbara. So apparently, emotional intelligence isn't just a buzz phrase. Or something designed to make us feel inadequate. Feels like it, though, a little. It's a little bit. Well, it's just we have to learn to identify our feelings and identify their feelings and help them identify. I mean, it's a, it's a lot. but All of this on the fly, in the middle of our day. Well, I have heard this a bunch, that you, you don't tell your kid, don't be sad or don't be angry because it's, it's not that big a deal. Or when you diminish it, it, it's not just let it be. Let that feeling be and let them have it. Right. And be okay with it. And try not to fix it because I always want my kids to feel good. Dun, da, da, da. I'm flying a sloop in and like yep. fix it, make it better and be done. Yeah. That's not our job. No. Hmm. Um, okay, well, so we'd love to hear from you about your efforts to learn emotional intelligence. Check out our Facebook page. You can give us a call at 331 704 
Or you can email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look